gotta come back with me. Where? Back to the future. Go ahead, quick, get in the car. No, 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 look, Doc, I just got here, okay? Jennifer's here, we're gonna take the new truck for a spin. Well, bring her along. This concerns her, too. Wait a minute, Doc, what are you talking about? And what happens to us in the future? What, do we become assholes or something? Oh, no, 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 you, you and Jennifer both turn out fine. It's your kids, Marty, something's gotta be done about your kids. That was Dr. Emmett Brown, Christopher Lloyd, scooping up Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, on an emergency mission in time in Back to the Future Part 2, which is also the ending of Back to the Future Part 1. This week, there's a different urgent mission to the future, but also to save someone's kids, and well, uh, everyone's kids, from an alien menace in Amazon Prime's new sci-fi actioner, The Tomorrow War. We don't know what we're doing, we're just talking about films, but great Scott, films are better than people. I'm Lawrence. And I'm Sam. Hey, Doc, you better back up. We don't have enough road to get up to 88. Roads? Where we're going, we don't need roads. So, this week, we watched The Tomorrow War, starring Chris Pratt, and Sam's going to tell you the plot. Dan Forrester is an ex-Special Forces soldier turned science teacher. On Christmas Eve 2022... Soldiers from the future come back to warn present-day Earth of an alien threat that is quickly destroying the human race. Millions of people are sent into the future to battle this evil, but when Dan is drafted, he meets Muri, and they try to create a toxin that can wipe out the aliens altogether. Or, as a haiku, if I was drafted to fight monsters in future, I'd wish I'd jogged more. (sighs) (laughs) That was more of a kind of introspective response to the Tomorrow War and how it made me reflect on how useless I would be in a real war. But I I felt like you also got some of the plot across without spoiling anything. Yeah, the futility of it all. Um, (laughs) Yeah, along with jogging, learning martial arts, learning science, perhaps even learning hand-to-hand combat with um, strong animals. What, what you mean those things would have been useful? Yeah, other, other things that would have been useful fighting fighting a barbarian alien race. Okay. Um, I mean, I'm quite good at Call of Duty. Does Do you think that would help? Or Thinking about it, no. <laughs> Let's listen to a clip. We are fighting a war 30 years in the future. Is this a joke? Our enemy is not human. We need you to fight. You got drafted. I will be back. Oh, here, buddy. Take that. You just look around like that. Are you so calm? Long story. Yeah, ex-military? Yeah. Kind of a short story, I guess. Three, two, one. In 11 months' time, all human beings in the future will be wiped from the face of the Earth. Unless you help us. trying to save my daughter. If I got to save the world to save her, then I'm going to do it. Yeah, going on from that, how do you think you'd do if you were drafted? What, fighting fighting an alien race? Yeah, fighting an alien race. Uh, well, it would depend on that alien race, I guess, but I'd be alright fighting an army for the ETs. Oh, yeah? yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was ET, then you'd do really, really well. Yeah, I'd do fine. I think I could handle a dozen of them, maybe. Especially if they'd been drinking, like an ET. Yeah. 
Like that, that would probably be fine. Yeah, maybe. I mean, if Spielberg ever did make that sequel, then it could be like an action horror, a bit like the Tomorrow War. You know, E. T. turns evil. Yeah, something like that. I that's what that's it. E. T. turns evil. <laughs> I mean, I I think if they made E. T. now, they would probably would struggle with with trying to make him lovable. I I don't feel that's where the the public mood is. P- people want aliens these days that they can kill, not not aliens that they can hug and adopt. Well, that's... yeah. Well, there are a lot of uh, aliens that can kill in this. Chris Pratt does a pretty good job of it as well. He certainly does. But what did you think of the film overall? Do you think the film did a good job of it? I think it did, actually. I was quite surprised with this. Um, I went in with quite low expectations because uh, the trailer didn't really give too much away. And there's a reason for that, which we probably won't spoil. Or we've made a decision not to spoil. uh, Because there's something that they don't include in the trailer, which is very important to the story. Yeah. But yeah, that's something we're going to leave out because they've left it out in the trailer, so therefore it's our duty as film people, probably not to spoil it. As film people. As film people. Never heard us described as film people. The people of film. The people of film. Yeah. um, I agree. But yeah, I I actually thought this was very entertaining. Obviously, with a lot of sci-fi action films, they breeze over the science as quickly as they can so they can get to the action. But I thought there was like enough science in this. It's not particularly... Um, yeah, it, it was su- sufficiently told. Yeah, yeah, sufficiently told, yeah. Uh, I thought the action sequences were pretty pretty strong throughout. Obviously, maybe a bit too much CGI, but you're making a two-hour film about aliens completely destroying the vast majority of humanity. Yeah. So yeah, they you know you are going to have to use a lot of heavy visual effects for that, but... There was enough in there for family, there were enough likeable characters for me, there was enough good humour as well. So I was entertained and I was kind of just very on edge going in because I didn't really think it would meet those standards. I guess it just about gets a pass from me, but I, I'm a bit reluctant to... It's it's, a re- it's really hard with something like The Tomorrow War because I think that there's a lot of things that it does well, but uh, ultimately I just don't think it's going to really stick in my memory and I've got plenty of criticisms um, of it. Uh, First and foremost, I mean, science fiction, famous for, you know, having themes, an underlying thing going on. Um, I tell you what, it was really hard for me to work out what the Tomorrow War was about. Really, really difficult. Should we say the metaphor in one, two, three? The... the... (laughs) Why not? One, two, three. Coronavirus. (laughs) Oh. No, I did, I did, we did it one more time. It's about climate change. It is it's about, about climate change. About climate you know, change. it's just like you, you know, but it's it, it, it's 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 all about climate change, but in an in an an achingly obvious way, a way where they slap it around your face like it's a wet fish. And I found that really, really off-putting. Because I, I don't mind electron climate change. I know it's important. And I, and I don't mind, obviously, themes in science fiction. But I think there has to be a craft to this. You know, something bad is coming in the future that only adults over the age of 40 have a responsibility to fight, a.k.a. the people that have finished growing up and are in power. Also, Chris Pratt is not just uh, an ex-soldier in this. He's a, a scientist, along with another one of the characters played by Sam Richardson. Uh, and some of the a lot of the characters are in fact scientists as well, and they keep talking about the the importance of science and innovation, especially when Chris Pratt, who's also a biology teacher, is talking to a bunch of kids who are kind of saying, "What's the point of anything?" Because we know the future is hopeless. There's a couple more spoilery bits which we're not going to go into that add to the metaphor, but I will say at one point the camera comes in real tight on one of the characters from the future who's speaking to someone from the past, and they say. 
we were never going to make it. You need to make sure that this never happens. And it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if at that point they just turned to the camera and just looked us directly in the face and, and lectures or Chris Pratt pulled off his mask and it was Al Gore underneath and it's just, it's just like oh for fuck's sake we like I, I get it this is about climate change like you, you need to find a better way to like just hide the, if you wanted to make a film about this like it, on, on one level like it is rich with this and to some extent, like, it's a bit of a call to arms to try and do something about the climate, and I've got to kind of applaud it for that, but I was really, really put off by how there was no craft to it and how it was, like, so ear-bleedingly obvious what, what was kind of going on. But I don't mind that. I don't mind metaphors in blockbusters, as long as there's a purpose to them, even if it's done in a bit of a clunky and obvious way. I didn't mind it as much as you do, because for mainstream films, audiences want to be entertained. And if there's a metaphor they can relate to, then that's an added bonus. I really don't think there needs to be as much craft as you think in putting in a metaphor, or like a big, broad metaphor like, that, like there is here. As, as you've said, kind of, the crisis is in the here and now. So why not we have like a big expensive film telling us about all the things that we can do to stop climate change right here in 2021? All the things we could do were like punching climate change in the face, <laughs> which, is how, which is how it kind of devolves it, or, or hitting it in the face with an axe over and over and over. I mean, it kind of loses the me- metaphor when it's like solution to climate change is like, oh no, you need to directly fight climate change, or you need to shoot it in its weak spots. I don't know what the equivalent of that is. I mean, but yeah, or, yeah, no, all right. There's no yeah. point dressing it up. I just don't think there's <laughs> any point dressing it up. But, you know, I think right from the start, it's pretty clear this is going to be a film about climate change kind of dressed up in a sci-fi action film and i have no bones about that other little bits that are obviously relating to climate change uh, politicians are impotent and don't help the situation even though the answer might be right in front of them their reluctance to spend public sector money on the catastrophe there's a bit towards the end of the film where a politician's like oh no we can't spend more public sector money on that we can't spend taxpayers money on uh, on this crisis, it's like yeah, yeah that uh, by fixing things in the present, we can stop a crisis for future generations. Yeah, that I mean is that's that... I mean it's the tomorrow war. This yeah. is the this is the war. The to tomorrow say. war is is climate change. Is climate change. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I I shouldn't really be such a Grinch about it. I mean, it's this is kind of what sci-fi is. Yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with always uh, having a uh, a metaphor that's quite loud, especially if it's in a movie that's also quite loud. Okay, yeah. I think like it it just kind of fits with it. I ju- I guess I just couldn't help but be a little bit irritated by the constant references to it. It started to verge almost on the passive aggressive. It was so kind of in your face about it. Let me put it to you this way. Okay. There's a Fast and Furious film in cinemas at the moment. (laughs) Is there a metaphor within those Fast and Furious films that is going to be as important to the world we live in as there is in the Tomorrow War? I think that metaphor has more than three syllables, so I don't think the Fast and Furious would understand that. <laughs> but do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm yeah. saying that actually, at least we've got a blockbuster here. It's not it's binary. Like... There can't be no no message or no craft. Do you know what I mean? But I would prefer a message over no craft at all, which is obviously because the Fast and Furious films are completely vacuous. Yeah, they hit you over the head with a hammer in terms of the metaphor, but that's their intention, and it gives you something to, to relate to and think about. Yeah, it's not the worst. I mean, it's, it's it's not the most offensive thing in the world. Yeah, you're right. I shouldn't be such a Grinch about it. But I, I reserve the right to complain about Zero Craft. But I agree. I suppose I'd rather it be there than not be there. Yeah, but on the service level, I think it is there to entertain people. This is yeah. a, a film on Amazon Prime 
that is pretty accessible. I think you could show it to people from sort of 10, 11 years old all the way up to people in their middle. Well, this film is maybe for people in the, the middle age, the <laughs> the Gen X generation to, uh, you know, tell them to start recycling and um, not using so much uh, carbon dioxide. Or... <laughs> is, is that what the monster's... Are specifically are they not recycling or carbon dioxide or or are they just all of them all wrapped up in one? It's just all yeah, it's all it's all one big nasty climate change disaster. Yeah, <laughs> I think if you told teens that that if you don't recycle, then you might have to get dropped into a war zone like Fortnite and have to fight creatures with Chris Pratt. You might get them more on board with recycling, or if that's what the recycling actually was, if, if you could action it up, you'd make steps towards stopping climate change a lot more popular. Well, write to Greenpeace about that, and <laughs> maybe that will work. But no, we should talk about the film no, a little bit more. Yeah, the, uh, the, but like on the monsters, actually, I thought that the, the, the monsters, the, the white claws, the, oh no, sorry, not white. White spikes. White, white spikes. White claw is that uh, alcoholic seltzer drink. That, that that seems to be very popular these days. Not not relevant, just for but not an eighties hair metal band. White claw. Yeah, no, that's white snake. But, yeah. Or hair metal, a resurgence of hair metal, also quite dangerous to the human race, I would argue. We could pitch that as the sequel. And actually because it's like middle aged people bringing that music to, <laughs> to the fore. That's what oh, they remember from their generation. We we need to write this. Yeah. The Tomorrow War Two. Hairspray. Back to the film. <laughs> so uh, the the white spikes, I think, are great. They look brilliant. They're so. Did you say the white snakes? Not the white snakes. No, the white spikes. Oh, did you just say the white spikes? I did okay. say the white spikes. Okay. The white stripes. The white stripes. Also, two piece. Uh, yeah, indie rock bands. They're not fighting them. Have you got any more? No. Let's. Shall we get? Shall we get a cup? The uh, white spikes look great. Uh, they're really gruesome. They're really gnarly. I love just their like bleach skin, the vicious maw, the slimy tentacles, their like nasty claws, and the way that they splatter and everything. They're just perfect creatures for an action shooter like this. They've also I noticed that they haven't shown them in marketing. In, exactly. In the yeah. marketing I was either. about to say the same thing. I think and I think that's a really good move. It's really brave and quite bold, but I think it makes them even more effective when they come on screen. Just like the characters, you don't really know what they're going to end up facing. And I, I think they look great. I think they're perfect for something like this. In the final trailer for the film, there is a white spike that they show very briefly for a few seconds. Right. But you can't really make it out. You'd have to kind of freeze frame it and really zoom in to, to be able to see it. But yeah, I think I think it's a really good move on that part. Yeah. Because there's a really slow build-up towards showing you them. And yes. There's a bit when they first go into the future, when Chris Pratt and his team first go into the future... And they're in like a skyscraper, basically, or, or they're on a stairwell in a big building. And one of these monsters or one of these aliens slowly starts to appear, and you just you just don't know what they look like. Uh, when they go for the training, they ask, oh, "What do the aliens look like?" And they say, "Oh, we can't tell you because, or we can't show you because if we do, then you'll be like you'll be petrified, and no one would. If this was ever released in the media." then no one would ever, everyone run away from the draft. I mean, they don't have much of a choice in <laughs> in that film. In the in the in the years after uh, the soldiers first appear in twenty twenty two, you know, there's over the over the next few years, like millions and millions of people are drafted. Uh, and yeah, there's the thought that if they would see these aliens, then they they would they would they would run a mile. But yeah, really really good build up, really good pacing to the narrative there. Yeah, I think it's I think it was a really great choice. 
What did you think of the the action sequences themselves? Like, because there's there's obviously quite a few of them. Yeah, I thought I thought they were executed pretty well. I thought the visual effects for most of them were really good. I was really disappointed by the finale. Uh, that's why yeah. that's what I was going to say. I, it it didn't quite match the rest of the film. I thought the the yeah the visual effects were poor. I thought cliche moments and the hand to hand combat wasn't as well choreographed as previous scenes. No, you didn't it, have that dread either. You had a lot of dread in some of the action scenes, which I think is pretty good for um, for a film kind of aimed at. Yeah, multiplex audiences, but there was a certain amount of tension, and in that finale, it was completely devoid of that. Like that, yeah, the, that first sequence where the white spikes appear, you get the sense of how powerful and how imposing these creatures are. Not invincible, but certainly you really wouldn't want to meet one uh, down a dark alleyway at night. And you get a sense of how lethal they are, but they feel quite a bit less lethal when... You've got characters going toe-to-toe with them in the final sequence, having punch-ups with them. They they certainly lose their menace then. Or it's not that they lose their menace, but it's just like you kind of stop believing in the world at that point. Because you go, well, if you just felt like doing this, then what? You, you know, I don't feel like you're sticking with the concept enough. It also means that then you have to create more and more silly-looking CGI as people like tackling them or jumping on them and, and this kind of thing. And it lost the effect of the white uh, spikes by... By the end, yeah, it's, it's one too of the art- drawbacks of, the, of that final sequence. Yeah, it, it is too artificial. Uh, I did really like how the film was bookended by J.K. Simmons, though. Yeah, he's in one scene at the beginning, and uh, it was kind of obvious that he's going to come back because he's such a notable and famous actor by this point. And yeah, he gets involved in in the action, which is great. I mean, we recently talked about him in Palm Springs. Yeah, um, and I think he's one of the best cameo actors around. Yeah, just bring him in to do. Do something, do anything. I guess he has been pigeonholed a little bit as the like a tough, no nonsense sort of man in his in his fifties. But I, I think there's probably a bit more range to him about that. I guess you know that his his role in Whiplash, this like psychotic music teacher, this kind of like alpha male bully. But yeah, maybe there's a bit more range to him. But yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a massive fan. I think he's one of my favourite actors at this point, and it was good to, for him to be in a blockbuster. If you're gonna make a like a big action film. Get actors of integrity, and he's definitely one of those. It's amazing that even just he's just in his first scene, he hits all the right emotional notes. Like you can tell he's an actor of real quality, even with the little that he's he's given to do in 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 just this. It, it's really really great. Yeah, ev- everyone in it is. It, it, I, I think it's all right. I mean, you said it. You 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 found the humor good. I didn't like the sense of humor in it. I think it's a bit douchey and self aware, but not in a good way. I mean, Sam Richardson is here as like the kind of comedy relief uh quite like sam richardson uh from some of the other things he's been in but i i didn't really find him very funny in this yeah i completely disagree i i, I really liked him in it um i don't think he's an actor that a lot of people will know this is the first thing i've seen him in yeah but he's kind of from the comedy circuit in in the states right yeah and he does lots of comedy shows he does also yeah he does he's in something i really sketches. like called um uh, i think you should leave with Tim Robinson, that's that's on Netflix and stuff, and that's great. Well, it's, yeah, it's good to see him transition into such a such a big movie. And I actually thought he he brought some some real natural charm, and I think he brought the right amount of levity. He kind of plays the weaker sidekick to uh, to Chris Pratt's hero, but I think there was a nice balance to that. And Chris Pratt, I think again, he can he can nail sort of a one liner. He can be slightly idiosyncratic. Uh, and yeah, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed those bits with with the humour, and I think you've got to have that in a blockbuster such as this. Yeah, you do. I don't fault having a, a sense of humour. I just think that a lot of his things fell flat. I felt like they told him, "Oh no, this this is the time to be funny," and 
uh, think of something funny to say. Do some of that, like, winking to the audience thing of, like, oh, you think I'm saying this, but actually I'm doing this. I know that the thing I'm in is crazy. Man, don't do that. And that's the thing. Like, it's so Chris Pratt that I wonder if some of those lines were either rewritten by him or when they knew that he was going to be in it, they slightly changed it around and maybe watched Guardians of the Galaxy and looked at his best lines from that and tried to replicate them a little bit. Maybe. But I, I still think they worked for me. I thought they were executed well. Chris Pratt, I thought, is, is, is good in this. I see him as a kind of hunky, tough puppy dog. He fits this role very well. Um, I do think he's got some range to him. Uh, we usually see him in bigger films, so I, I don't think we've kind of showcased that yet. But I, I enjoyed him in this, I guess. The, the bits where Chris Pratt got to show his acting chops were some of the best bits of the film, actually. The, the father-daughter relationship in this... Yeah, I think was like the best bit in the film. It was strangely moving. Something about the way that the relationship sort of um, evolves in the film. That that growing feeling of responsibility in Chris Pratt get, gets bigger and bigger. And he always wants to save his daughter. But the way in which he wants to save his daughter and the kind of resolution in it. And yeah, the connection he, he has with her. I, I did find strangely powerful. I was actually quite surprised that I would find something like this in this kind of film that powerful but i did i thought i thought it was I, I thought that part of it was really really good so i mean in the in the end i mean the tomorrow war i think i mean i i mean i think it works i mean the i think the biggest drawback coming out of it apart from some of the other the, the little things that i kind of moan about is it just has that feel of transformers of pacific rim of uh, of edge of tomorrow it's small soldiers versus big critters the the slightly self-aware humor the explosions the splatter the the big score it's just it's just all a bit too familiar it's not dog shit but i mean it's the kind of thing that you you know you're sticking on and are, are probably going to get you know little out of after one or two sleeps after you watch the film uh, i mean maybe i'll think back to it or could stick it on a list of like environmental films uh but it's just not going to appear on the any best of lists for pretty much anything including the cast the action the creatures and a lot of that stuff that I just listed is good, but it's just not really quite good enough to be noteworthy. It feels harsh. I mean, it was it, it was it was entertaining enough, and I and I think there's lots of things about it that are good. I just don't think it's good enough. Stronger than Pacific Rim and Transformers. Yes, okay. I think yeah, you should sorry. take that. Yeah, all right. It's, you know, but it is. But it's it's not about the the whether or not it's stronger than those films. It's just that they, it, you know, it just has that same feel as them. And although, you know, maybe it is better, but I mean, it's hard when you have a film that has an, an atmosphere and a tone like a kind of sci-fi military thriller, which is, you know, what it is. And there's just not a weir- really a way to set that atmosphere, that feel of the film apart. And that's, I guess, what it what it's like watching this. Yeah, I mean, we're going to come back to the metaphor. I mean, overall, I kind of feel that even though it is heavy-handed... It's done well enough and executed well enough that I found it really entertaining. And I think it just felt like one of those films where you could choose to take the science fiction or you could leave it, but you'd still get come away with the same feeling. I just think in the end, that's what you want from a mainstream blockbuster. I think you want to be entertained, but then you also want to have enough substance. And I think this just about did have enough substance. I mean, yeah, we've kind of complained about how obvious the issue that they're talking about is. But again, I think it's dealt with in the right way. And I don't think it ever encounters too many problems within the plot. 
So overall, it just feels like a nice, digestible piece of yeah, sci-fi action. And yeah, I, I actually really enjoyed it. I mean, again, I don't know whether it will stand the test of time. I don't know whether it... I it, don't it's think just, it will. I don't know whether it will be a bit vacuous or you'll kind of look back and you think, oh, okay, maybe there are more weaker points. But in terms of my expectations and going in and the and what it produced, I was I was perfectly happy with it. Maybe I'll look back at it and feel like I was, I'm being a bit harsh, but I just don't really feel like giving it a a pass this time go and watch Fast and the Furious whatever <laughs> it is come back and watch The Tomorrow War and then see how you think about it yeah that's alright that's fair enough this is the end the human species will disappear from the face of the earth we are literally living on borrowed time there's still a chance that we can stop this war from ever happening so we gotta fight Well, it's nice knowing you. So, if you like this, I'm going to recommend Starship Troopers from 1997. Although there's a lot that's different here, quite frankly, we talked about one of the Tomorrow War's younger cousins a few episodes ago. Uh, That would be Edge of Tomorrow. So why not sit down with the funny, wild-eyed uncle with questionable political views, get drunk together from his hip flask, and have the best sci-fi military family Christmas party ever. Johnny Rico, played by Casper Van Dien, is just an average pre-uni kid that looks 29 in the near future. Johnny lives in an Earth united by the Federation, a military quasi-dictatorship. Earth's under attack from the Bugs, a gruesome insectoid horde from a planet on the edge of the galaxy. Johnny joins the military, specifically the mobile infantry, at first to chase his girlfriend, but soon he starts to show his talent and passion for service, becoming embroiled in the very centre of mankind's fight for survival. We are going in with first wave. You smash the entire area. You kill anything that has more than two legs. You get me? We get you, sir! But they will face an enemy more devastating than any ever imagined. Land trap for us, didn't they? Ah! TriStar Pictures takes you to the front lines of the next frontier. Kill them all! Starship Troopers. If you came out of the Tomorrow War thrilled by a militaristic battle for survival against a gruesome enemy, then Starship Troopers has you covered. Even though it's nearly 25 years old, the mostly CGI bugs still work. Their look is simple and therefore timeless. Perhaps the lack of faces mean they're not as prone to ageing as other CGI creatures, but the average soldier bug still looks great. They're all screeches and bony mandibles, perfect for tearing and skewing your average puny earthling. You understand just by looking at them how they work, and that's just great design. The soldiers as well are iconic, fearless and macho, though of course very modern and progressive in their representation. The action splatters a lot more than Tomorrow War, but it's gleeful, gory fun. The nobility of service is something both films cover as well. In The Tomorrow War, it's the importance of doing what we can for the future. In Starship Troopers, the concept ties their society together. War and service is the very bedrock of the Federation. Which is, of course, what Starship Troopers is almost most famous for. This and the novel it's based on have more than a few, uh, conservative leanings... The society does not promise democracy for everyone, just those who serve. The innate right of the military to rule because of their abilities in war is troubling but weirdly alluring. Director Paul Verhoeven has spoken about how this was intentional. 
Then, of course, there's Neil Patrick Harris almost cosplaying as a Gestapo. It's not all very subtle. If you enjoyed the frills and spills of the last army on Earth battling for the future, then enlist in Starship Troopers. It's a gory, twisted thrill ride with a clever satirical edge. Just remember, in this country, service doesn't guarantee citizenship. Yet. But it should. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, well, I don't know. You, 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 I, I can't help feeling... Every time I watch the, the scene in the classroom where you've got Michael Ironside's talking about the failure of democracy and why their uh, system works a little bit better you can't uh, you you can't help feeling a little convinced my friends that are into politics i've had that discussion with them more than a more than a few times about the 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 pluses and minuses of starship troopers uh, society yeah we talked about paul verhoven a couple of episodes ago with total recall and how actually his films are subtly quite intelligent and I think it's the same with Starship Troopers. Yeah, I it think. is. You know, it's there are a few clunky metaphors in there, like the <laughs> Tomorrow War, but they work perfectly. Yeah, they do. Yeah, it, I mean, it is a it is a brutal uh, sort of fashy society, slightly slightly fashy society, but it is quite intelligent how he kind of manages to to draw you in and convince you with these kind of these arguments about why maybe democracy sh- shouldn't be for everyone, but just for those that 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 can prove their strength and this kind of thing and then it shows the bugs and uh demonizes them with these really funny like propaganda videos that that looks that, that pluck straight out of a kind of mid-20th century newsreel it, it's really great it's just a bit a bit of a crowd pleaser starship troopers like it is really fun it, it, it like i say i think in a lot of ways it is quite different from the tomorrow war but it's great i have also read the novel as well oh yeah yeah which is <laughs> which is also quite interesting how it kind of delves even more into the uh, society and how it all works. And I did finish the novel and st- I started to think like, oh man, joining the joining the military sounds like a really worthwhile thing. And then maybe I should be in the military. Maybe we should all be in the military. And maybe the military should just, you know, run everything. And, and only the military should have the power to vote. And then, you know, maybe democracy isn't such a great idea. And, and maybe we are in an eternal state of war. Who's to say? And then I had to sort of... Like, just go, like, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) No more Starship Troopers for me. Um, You mentioned it being a crowd pleaser. And actually, that's what I thought the Tomorrow War was going to be like. Because as I said, I think there is this really heavy metaphor. But again, there's enough entertainment to take people along with it. And I think that's what Starship Troopers is like. You're you're right. I mean, yeah, there is. Uh, They're different because I think the Tomorrow War is trying to do something positive in that it's trying to basically tell people that there there is a fight worth fighting and that is against climate change whereas starship troopers is presenting a really twisted version of society and making you root for it i've heard some people describe it as basically trying to make you feel what it's like to be a fascist trying to make you empathize with fascism and uh in that way trying to make you think but also kind of horrify you and yeah i think that's true yeah that's a really good take uh there's a bit at the end where they're torturing the queen alien yeah and it's horrendous it's kind of one of the i think they even cover up with like an explicit yeah sort of warning so you can't actually see what's doing but it's just horrendous and that's it yeah Within... i was really disturbed by that as a kid but I it's in the final bit. few scenes it's in the final few scenes yeah. you the idea is that they're trying to experiment on the the bugs to try and find a weakness, but it's also it is also like a little bit gruesome and horrifying. That's probably when it's kind of saying, well, you know, the aliens were torturing us, but now we're going to torture them. There's this there's this thing that everyone everyone in within war is are are the villain. 
deep yeah. down. Like that that bit is done like the rest of it. It's done with a, a slightly like comedy edge. And, I, and like I say, I found that a bit disturbing as a kid that we're supposed to be rooting for these people who are quite are quite nasty. But it, I mean, that's the point. Of, yeah, that's the point of the film. It's supposed to. It, you you can definitely go into it and enjoy the kind of splatteriness of it and the 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 fun ride of it. But underneath, they're they're trying to shock you and kind of make you think. Yeah, but it's not really for kids, is it? No. I mean, that's the that's one of the differences. I mean, I I, I can't remember. I think Sausages is an eighteen. Yeah, and. The Tomorrow is definitely a film that you sit down with a family to watch. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Yeah, it's not for not fun for the whole family. The weirdly Starship Troopers uh, was a film that I think seemed to be passed around. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of teens used to watch when we were when we were younger. It was one of those films that just made it past the watchful eyes of mum and dad. Which weirdly is also apparently what happened with RoboCop a lot. Uh, RoboCop ended up wasn't was an eighteen, but ended up being seen by loads of loads of kids uh there's something about paul verhoven maybe his uh his slightly childlike uh gleeful attitude towards violence makes it kind of seem cartoony maybe i was gonna say i think most of his films are like that yeah. even basic instincts and total recall i bet was probably watched by the generation below who the films were actually aimed for yeah exactly if you didn't like the tomorrow war then watch arrival from 2016 starring amy adams and jeremy renner the film follows a linguist and a physicist as they try to decipher the language of recently landed extraterrestrials. Directed by Dennis Villeneuve, it was nominated for eight Academy Awards that year and was a critical and commercial success. In Arrival, you're not going to get the huge explosions and gruesome action of The Tomorrow War, which is the obvious difference. From the start, Arrival is a delicate and tender film where aliens are the potential ally rather than an adversary. Twelve separate spaceships land across Earth in twelve different countries. This means that the governments in each of these nations are competing to be the first to break down the language barrier. Initially, the diplomacy between all the countries is good, but becomes more fractious as the Chinese discover what they deem a potential threat within the messages. There are days that define your story beyond your life. Like the day they arrived. I'm Colonel G.T. Webber from Army Intelligence. Pack your bags. You're at the top of everyone's list when it comes to translations. Priority one. What do they want? Where are they from? You'll be reporting to me, but you'll be working with him when you're in the show. That's what they call him, the UFO. They need to see me. Dr. Bank? Are you insane? Now that's a proper introduction. There is a match with Arrival and the Tomorrow War in terms of the slow reveal of what the aliens look like. Both films tease the appearances of these life forces, but in Arrival there is an elegance about the heptapods, while in The Tomorrow War the White Spikes are monstrous predators. The key concept in both is time. The Chris Pratt vehicle uses time travel as a way to explore what the future could look like. Villeneuve's film, on the other hand, looks at the way we as humans perceive time and how different species might experience it. If that sounds a little vague, then the foundations of Arrival are built on this idea and not something I completely want to spoil for those that haven't seen it. There is a heaviness about Arrival, which can make it a difficult watch, and some of the themes and ideas aren't always easy to grasp, while The Tomorrow War is lighter in tone. The two protagonists of both films illustrate that contrast, as Amy Adams plays Louise, an icy and reticent linguist, while Chris Pratt is a natural, extroverted leader who is convivial with everyone he meets. I don't want to disregard The Tomorrow War when comparing it to Arrival, because ultimately, both films are for different audiences. They can be both appreciated for framing signs of the saviour rather than conflict. 
although that's more debatable in the Tomorrow War. Arrival is for those who want a thoughtful and meditative piece about the first contact of life outside of our own planet, and how elements of our world that we take for granted could have completely different meaning elsewhere in the solar system. Yeah, I, I love Arrival so much. Like it gets it gets better every time I watch it and it's and it's worth rewatching. It's worth going back to over and over again. It's actually funny hearing you you talk about the great and elegance of the heptopods because uh I found the heptopods really quite terrifying. Oh really? Yeah, there there's something really the the more you get to know them, obviously the, the more you get to understand that they're very they're a very beautiful race, a very gentle race. A very yeah. gentle I think they're race. tiring. At, I think they're terrifying at first. They are. But then over the course of the film, you get the sense that they are a peaceful species. Like they, oh, they yeah, make I sound. Mean, they make sound like whales in a way. That yeah. kind of calming, <laughs> yeah. soothing sound in, uh, that you associate with the ocean. I mean, it, it's not. It's. I mean, I, I I utterly think that it's an almost instinctive kind of revulsion to them because they look so they look almost kind of arachnid or or octopusy Oct- <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry Octa- oh. oh dear <laughs> o- octopi Octa- octopi they look almost octopi like or just like a very bony emaciated hand and i just i i found that just really really creepy but that's important for the film i think because the, the point is that you 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 don't understand them and then you you sort of grow to understand them more and more but the my favorite thing about arrival is that is that it's all about language i mean i think that what often sci-fi films do is they they come down and they go there's a device which means that we can understand aliens and we can get straight to the you know the core of whatever is going on right but in this the whole film is dedicated to that idea of well how would we understand them if i felt watching the tomorrow war like i'd be completely useless in that war like the monumental task of having to try and decode an alien language just (laughs) fills me with even more kind of like abject horror my favorite bit of the film is when uh, Louise like breaks down the sentence what is your purpose on earth which is what they just basically want to ask the the heptopods and she breaks down like well we have to make them do they do they understand what a question is do they have a concept of a of a question uh, and what about the the thing of purpose what is what is purpose to a heptopod it's just like oh my god just just stretching my brain around this was just like this just just feels at like such an such an impossible herculean task but it's it's all about that and as the film goes on i think the the how it develops and the the places that it chooses to go with it with that concept of language and the transformative power of language and understanding one another is really interesting and actually becomes even more interesting the more you watch it you come back to, whenever you come back to it again and again you see this this concept of language and how that shapes the way we view the world <laughs> it's funny us talking about the metaphors because arrival has one of the cleverest subtlest metaphors about that power of language in science fiction i think that's a really good example of when something can be done really really right and i I guess I would say that the way that I guess Arrival does it is that it maybe masks it in an interesting science fiction concept and that concept is driving the plot and the the action so much that it's only when you kind of think back on it and look back on it once you're out of the movement of the film that you can see that actually it, it is it's all about communication and the, the power of that. Yeah, and it's all about memory 
anyway. So yeah. again, because it's a film about memory, you often look back on it and judge the events or uh, maybe think that it's probably more ambiguous than you, you first thought. I mean, within the first five minutes, Louise says, we are so bound by time, by its order... I don't believe in beginnings and endings, and you're ju- that's when you sort of are beginning to really understand like what, what. Well, no, not that you're beginning to really understand, but that's kind of the start of the journey that she goes on, and the 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 concept of time and how yeah it might be different in different realities. I mean, it is just really really fascinating. Yeah, it is just a real head scratcher. I mean, it's a good. Uh, I know that you actually used the word antidote in the last in the last episode but yeah it is just a perfect antidote to the the other two films that we've talked about today because it's a really cerebral philosophical beautiful kind of science fiction that you can get absolutely wrapped up in and and also see all these different like other elements to it when you come back to it i I don't think i even appreciated it as much the first time i watched it but when i came back you know, it becomes like better and better. I think it might even be. Oh, it's not. It's not quite my favorite. Favorite Dennis Villeneuve because I probably like Sicario a bit more. But um, it's yeah, certainly one of the best science fictions in a long time. I, I think it's really worth seeking out if you want some more thoughtful science fiction compared to kind of the stuff that we've talked about today. Thank you so much for listening to Films Are Better Than People. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on right now so you never miss an episode. We're on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts and SoundCloud. And don't forget to come follow us on Twitter at Films Are Better and like us on Facebook.com forward slash Films Are Better.